You are listening to the Business Wilderness, the voice of entrepreneurs. Welcome to the Business Wilderness. My name is Amara Wahuli, and today I have a very special guest, Professor Michael Biasic from Q Control. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Absolute pleasure. Michael, or shall I call you Professor? Take you us can back. Call me Mike. Mike is fine. <laughs> Mike, take us back to where it all started. Where did, where did it all begin for you? Yeah, so. I mean, I've had a, a long journey to becoming an entrepreneur. Um, I'm a scientist by training. I, uh, I have a, a PhD in physics. Uh, I studied in the US and then um, really started my, my own independent research career in Australia in about 2009. And uh, since then, uh, we've been doing some really exciting research in what's called quantum technology. This is technology that uh, takes advantage of the really strange physics we find on very, very small size scales. Things that sometimes in the media you hear are like uh, particles being in two places at once or things that have to be described as both a particle and a wave at the same time. All that new physics is actually a resource that we can take advantage of in building technology. And so we focused a lot on how to put quantum things to work, things that obey these rules to work. And uh, just a couple of years ago, uh, based on my professorial appointment at the University of Sydney, where I run my research team, uh, I decided it was the right time to found a new company, and that's uh, that's how Q Control was born. Wow, very very nice. Now you said um, you've you've got your masters and PhD from my research. You studied at Harvard University, is that correct? Yeah, I got my graduate degrees at Harvard. That's correct. Okay, awesome. Now, there's many people around the world have not studied at Harvard. So, give us some some insight what it's like to actually study at Harvard, the atmosphere there, their programs, so on, so on. Yeah, it's in some ways it's it's uh, not at all special, and in other ways it's really extremely special. Um, It's a school like any other. It has good things and bad things in the way it's run. You know, it's a university, so it can be a little slow and uh, a little clumsy. But what's um, what's really quite amazing is that you just kind of know when you're walking around either campus or the surrounding area in a place called Cambridge, Massachusetts, that everybody's thinking of something kind of interesting. Like, it doesn't matter who they are, where they're coming from. Almost everybody around has been doing something interesting, thinking about something interesting, or is somebody who is kind of well-known globally for, uh, for something. So it, it's a special place in, kind of, in just the, the number of people who are there at all times doing uh, really world-changing things. Um, but, uh, you know, it was, it was a great place to study. Uh, I was in the physics program, the physics PhD program there uh, from 2001 to 2005. Uh, I had a fantastic time, worked in a, an incredible group. Uh, did some work that set me up well for the rest of my career. And of course, I mean, the reality is that the name helps uh, overall through your career. But, uh, uh, you know, it's uh, in many respects just a place like any other. Wow. Awesome. Thanks for thanks for the insight. Um, all right. Sure. Um, so back to Q-Control. Talk to me about 
the organization and where you guys are currently heading? Yeah, so Q Control was founded in late 2017. Uh, we are a venture capital backed organization. So we, uh, we took ideas that really had their genesis in my scientific research career. And then uh, we started a company around the know-how that, uh, that I had. Um, the company is totally separate from the university. It's, uh, it's not like a spin out where the university of equity. And uh, to start off, we raised capital from uh, some big names. One of them, Main Sequence, is a uh, venture capital fund in Australia. Uh, and then Horizons Ventures, which is uh, the kind of family office of Mr. Lee Ka Shing in Hong Kong. Uh, and then a few months later, we brought in uh, two real global heavyweights, one Data Collective in Silicon Valley and the other Sequoia Capital, which is uh, almost a household name. Um, it's really, it's early days for us, but it's exciting because we're such a critical enabler of this new kind of industry that's building. Quantum technology is so new and it's unlike almost anything that's come before. And it can be, in our view, as transformational in this century as harnessing electricity was in the 19th. So we're really excited to be partnering with some of the biggest technology firms globally to have a great customer base uh, that's uh, been established and is growing very rapidly. And uh, we're looking forward to taking the team from about 20 people right now up to about 50 over the next uh, 12 or 18 months. Awesome, awesome. Can you give us a, an, an example of how quantum technology or your, your quantum uh, technology could impact an organization? Absolutely. I mean, one of the one of the technological applications that people talk about the most is something called quantum computing. This is uh, an area of work where we try to take advantage of this weird physics we find on small size scales and use it to process information in a new way. And there are just certain problems that are not easily solved by conventional computer systems, not even giant supercomputers. And uh, quite amazingly, it was, uh, it was discovered in the late 1990s that if you could build a quantum computer that used this weird physics to store and process information, then you might be able to solve some of those problems. And they're problems that are relevant in, in information security, so the way we, we secure information online. Uh, there are problems in chemistry for pharmaceutical discovery. Uh, chemistry and industry, the way we make fertilizer for agriculture, all these things can be have really hard problems in them and can be uh, very seriously impacted by the development of quantum computers. Uh, Q-Control is a provider of uh, technologies in a business-to-business -business sense within the quantum computing market and, uh, and that's why we are part of, say, the IBM Q-Network, where IBM is building quantum computers and uh, we're a provider to them. Same with other uh, big names in that space, like Rigetti and Lexmo and others. Okay, and, and how does your product compare against your competitors that you just mentioned? Like in terms, of, yeah, go on, sir. Yeah, so those, I mean, those organizations are our customers, and uh, they're really the ones trying to build quantum computing hardware. So they're they're trying to build oh, okay. the boxes that yeah. uh, that are quantum computers. The big challenge is that that hardware is really, really prone to error. It's very fragile, all sorts of uh, very tiny, tiny perturbations or disturbances can break the hardware. And we provide uh, special technologies uh, that, that are deployed as software in order to stabilize the quantum computers and allow them to perform better and do more before they might fail. 
So uh, uh, all those big name manufacturers are our target customer base and, and in many cases our existing customer base. Wow, there you go. Okay, interesting, very, very interesting. Okay, so we see now that we sort of understand your your business, the, the technology involved and so on. What's, what's the, what is the way forward? Where is the, where is the future heading? Yeah, this is, uh, this is what's so exciting. Uh, quantum computing, quantum technology, this is totally new terrain. You know, it's a 100% open future greenfield as to what anybody can achieve in this. And our objective is to be a global dominant player across the entire quantum technology landscape. That is, being the trusted provider of our technology, so it's called quantum control, for everyone building anything that uses quantum physics. Uh, and, and as I said, the opportunity is huge because there's so much yet to be discovered. We're, we're a first mover in the space. We have a lot of truly unique capabilities. Uh, it's very difficult for other teams to catch up with the specialization we have. And we're using that to our advantage as we, uh, we grow our customer base internationally and we build out our, uh, our capabilities here. Awesome. We've, we've heard all the great things. What are some of your, your challenges to, to actually growing? I think uh, these won't be any surprise that we're a technology company. We're situated, uh, headquartered at least in, in Australia, in Sydney. Uh, and it has been a big challenge that um, you know Australia has gotten a little bit nationalistic and anti-immigrant. And it's been difficult to secure enough talent for um for the uh, scope of customer engagement that we have, we're totally limited by staffing, not, not anything else. Wow. And uh, you know, the, the more governments try to restrict skilled immigration, the harder it gets for companies like mine that deliver huge benefits for, for the local community, both in taxes and in economic growth and jobs uh, to function. So it, it really has been challenging. Uh, another one is just more practical. I spend you know, some ungodly amount of time on a plane every month because uh, our customer base is global and you know, Australia is, is just kind of far. Um, I, uh, I deal with it, of course, but, but it can be a pain. Yeah, we are literally at the end of the world. So. Well, or we're at the center of the world. For quantum, we're at the center of the world. We just got to reach out to get to everybody else. Okay, nice, nice. Um, in terms of talent, uh, where would mostly, like for an organization like yours, where, where, where would you go to seek this talent? How do you find it? We're, we're kind of unique in our sector in that we certainly hire very specialized, uh, specially trained people who have done research in quantum technology or quantum physics. And uh, those people come from some of the really strong research institutes in Australia. You know, I moved to Australia originally because there was just a national prioritization of basic science in quantum physics. And that meant there were a lot of really, really strong researchers, research teams, and of course, students uh, here. So we draw from, from that pool of talent very easily and readily to, to build out the quantum team. But on the other side, uh, these are uh, people with what you might call conventional software engineering backgrounds, people who do front-end development and back-end development, DevOps, all these things. And uh, for them, you know, we're competing in many respects with, uh, with the banks who are, who are also sucking up talent in that space. Um, but uh, there, it's just kind of the conventional competition against the tech sector. How about data scientists? Where, 
how, how, how do they play in your line of business? That's kind of a, a growing area of interest for us. Now, you know, quantum is kind of interesting in that uh, the role of data science is uh, not as transparently obvious as in other fields. Um, but a lot of the techniques that are being developed in the data science domain, things like um, uh, what are called filtering or machine learning techniques, these are all becoming more important. My, my research team has really pioneered a lot of this. Uh, and uh, we're, we're looking more and more to find people with backgrounds in machine learning and neural networks and all the kind of data science uh, tools that have become popular in the, uh, in the broader community. Wow, awesome. And in terms of your team, are you guys all located in Sydney or you got remote staff too? No, we are, uh, we're, we're globally distributed. Uh, the bulk of the team is in Sydney. We have uh, people internationally. Uh, we have a couple of people in Melbourne as well. Awesome. Um, okay, great. Some uh, great, great insight. Um, let's go back on your personal journey. I mean, working on the, on the products that you're currently working, having studied in such organisations, I reckon you've done pretty, pretty well. Um, if you could Thank go, you. you're welcome. If you could go back through this journey, what are a few things that you would do differently, if any at all? Uh, yeah, I mean, there are some things I would do differently for sure. Um, one of them is going to sound a little bit out of left field. Yeah. Um, I would have, uh, I would have earlier in my career, maybe before I went to university, I, I would have joined the military. Wow. Uh, Why? Because, uh, I think that, you know, it is my greatest regret personally that I didn't, I didn't serve in the military. Um, not because I'm, you know, desirous of some kind of vengeance or whatever. I was already in grad school when September 11th happened when I was living in the U.S. Um, but because I think that uh, uh, the men and women who serve in the military are dramatically underappreciated, and uh, it is one very important way to make a contribution to the broader society. Uh, I'm kind of a, 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 on the side of veterans advocate. I've run uh, for a short time a charity focused on this space, helping returning veterans. Uh, reintegrate, and I, um, you know, I do feel that uh, uh, it should be viewed as more of a national service obligation to join the military, and less of a of a volunteer thing. I don't mean I don't mean the draft. I just mean we should culturally um, uh, encourage people to serve uh, and protect the nation. And so um, I didn't for a variety of reasons, and I I do regret that in, in many respects. Well. Wow. Uh, in another sense, uh, like a little more more closely related to our current commercial efforts, um, I would have moved earlier in starting the company. Uh, it took me a long time to get out of my comfort zone, if you will. You know, being an academic, being a professor, it takes a long time, a lot of work to get to that stage where I, you know, I'm a senior faculty member. I run my own team. It's a lot of independence, um, and it's comfortable. And and uh, I hemmed and hawed about whether I wanted to start something entrepreneurial for, for a couple of years. And while I don't think we were ultimately hurt by that, I personally wish that, uh, that I had moved just a little bit earlier and had a little bit more, uh, well, had, <laughs> you know, more serious guts to, to take the plunge uh, uh, and maybe have extracted even more rewards than I have already. Wow. How did you find that transition from... From an academic yeah. professor to running a business, I mean, running a business is pretty tough. I think you know, in some ways, 
for me personally, it was not that hard because uh, in, in a lot of ways, I was always a bad academic. I didn't fit in. I really liked a lot of the business and business development sides of things and things that if you look at objectively now from a commercial perspective, it's just sales, right? That's what I, I've been good at. I, I, I give public lectures uh, that I hear people tell me are quite engaging and enjoyable. And that's really just sales, right? It's building a connection with your audience. Yeah. Um, so for that reason, it wasn't that hard, but I, I did have to let go and learn to let go of a very specific way of thinking about the world. Um, you know, in, in academia, in science, your job is to seek the truth and, and to find out the way the universe really works, whether it's, you know, whether you're in science or in humanities or whatever, seeking the truth is your objective. And uh, in business, it's seeking opportunity, right? And pursuing opportunity. And uh, those two things are not mutually exclusive, but it's just a question of which you prioritize. And I think a lot of scientists and academics, when they're considering the possibility of something uh, more entrepreneurial, uh, they get hung up on all the ways that things can go wrong. And I certainly played, was a victim of this. I was always doubting, oh, well, this could go wrong, and this could go wrong, and this could go wrong. Uh, and I, I eventually just had to accept, yes, all of those things could in principle go wrong. My job is to identify and mitigate that risk and just keep going and pursue the opportunity. Um, so that, that change of mindset was really the toughest and most important thing that I had to go through in the transition. Wow. Awesome. Makes sense. Makes sense. Um, all right. You've it does now because I explained it so well, but yeah. before I was really struggling. <laughs> you lived it and then explained it, which is awesome. Um, so you've experienced a lot and you've lived through a lot and you've been an academic and now you've built a uh, pretty decent sized business. Um, we have a lot of startup founders or aspiring founders or actual founders that have built small small businesses that listen to this show. What's yep. your what's your advice to them starting this journey or even those that are going through it? Well, like you know, one serious thing and then one slightly more tongue in cheek thing. Yeah. Uh, the serious thing is, uh, you know, really pursue the opportunity. There is something exciting, especially I'll, I'll address those uh, in your audience who might be a little bit more researchy, right? People who maybe are are doing PhDs or doing master's degrees or are engineers or whatever. Um, pursuing opportunity is really a great thing and it can be really hard to get across the barrier, but uh, it's absolutely worth it. It's, it's exceptionally rewarding and it's not nearly as scary as, as it may seem. Um, on the other side, I would say, and I, I do appreciate the irony, uh, don't take anybody's advice, right? Do what's right for you. Um, wow. This gets, this gets discussed a lot, you know, I hear it all the time, especially in Australia, about things like work-life balance. And uh, my view is, is really, you know, you as, a, as an individual or an entrepreneur need to do what's right for you, not what anybody else tells you is right. And you just need to be able to identify and accept the trade-offs you're making, right? If you are going to try to be an entrepreneur and have a nine-to-five kind of day, um, the trade-off is that the likelihood of your business succeeding goes down significantly. But if you uh, if you really work 24/7, then the trade-off may be that uh, you burn out or or you cut off family relationships or whatever. Uh, you know, I am and no one else is in a position to tell any individual what's right for them. Only to tell them to be clear-eyed about what trade-offs they're making and uh, and to feel comfortable pursuing what they enjoy and what's right for them. 
It makes a lot of sense. Absolutely. And I actually agree with you on that. So many people come out and give general statement, statements of advice. And really, every single individual, every single organization is different. So um, I, I've never quite understood that, and I never will, because I, I don't believe in it. So. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, don't get me wrong. There are, there are technical things that any entrepreneur can learn, like how do, you, how do you price your products? How do you build a team? There are books you can read and you can get just knowledge, information about that. Yeah. But when it comes to advice, um, I, I think it's uh, in many cases you, you have to follow your own path. There you go. There you go. You heard it from the man himself. All right. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. I mean, uh, it's been an unbelievable chat, Michael. I've really, really enjoyed it. Before we let you go, where can we find you on social media? Uh, you can find me most places other than Facebook. Um, on uh, on Twitter, it's uh, at MJ, and then my surname, Biersik, B-I-E-R-C-U-K. Uh, you'll hear me ranting about quantum stuff, about business, about uh, entrepreneurship, about uh, uh, politics and all sorts of things. Same handle, at MJ Biersik on Instagram, but that's only if you want to see mechanical watches. That's a passion of mine. Uh, I have a creative partnership uh, developing with a company called Alonga Insuna, which is a really specialty watch manufacturer. So if you want to see watches, you can find that. Uh, and otherwise, just search my name on LinkedIn. Awesome. Ladies and gentlemen, Professor Michael Biesick, Q-Control, thank you very much for joining me on the Business Wilderness. Thank you. You are listening to the Business Wilderness the voice of entrepreneurs.